is a longtime family friend, and actually Paul was my youth pastor in this very building, what, like 50 years ago or something like that? It was, it was way back then. Paul and his family are in town this weekend. It's so good to see him. Um, Paul will appreciate this. Those of you that are new to this building, um, I want to tell you guys that this is, this is as cool as this building has ever been since it was built in 1912. Um, we used to try to do services in this building in the summertime heat, and it was just like you would just have to go down in the basement for a, an air conditioning break because it was so hot in here. It was unbelievable. So those of you that are thinking, I wish they would turn the air on because it's kind of hot in here, um, just shut up, okay? Just You have no idea how hot it can get in this joint. Um, man, summertime is interesting. Talked to so many people over the course of the last couple months that, um, you know, summertime's kind of the best of times and it can be kind of very difficult times, um, especially with this economy and stuff. But there's a lot of people that are really enjoying getting out and going on vacation. A lot of friends, a lot of people from here are camping and just getting out and experiencing um, all that God has and um, seeing things, you know? There's something really cool about having great weather and just going out and experiencing things and seeing things. And over the course of the next several weeks, maybe the next couple months, we're going to be talking together about what it means to really see God. The Bible uses this word thousands of times, literally. And the word that the Bible uses is a word called glory. Now, if any of you guys have ever heard of glory, glory is a word that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, it's, it's an old English word in a lot of contexts. People use it to describe things. Um, if you're old and you think back to high school and you say, oh, those are my glory days, right? That was, that's the, when it was really, really good. And glory is one of those things that brings up a lot of a lot of different you know, experiences and a lot of different ideas. And if I were to ask you tonight, you know, what do you think of when you hear the word glory, what would it be? What would come to your mind? What would you think of? Um, glory is one of those words that when you really think about it, it literally means to reflect somebody else or to reflect the creator of something. You think back to music that you love, maybe books that you read. You love a, a particular author or somebody that does something a certain way. And you know that if you pick up their book and you begin to thumb through it, you kind of already know what you're going to get because it's got that author's signature style, their imprint on it, right? And the way that they write. Unless they're one of those authors that likes to reinvent themselves all the time, then you know. You never know what you're going to get when you get their book. But you kind of know what to expect. I'm one of these guys that loves music. I just, I've loved music since the time I was a little kid. And I've got an extensive music collection of tons and tons of CDs that I know I will never, ever, ever listen to again. But I just love looking at them. Just piles and piles of CDs. But I remember the first big concert I ever went to. I was, um, I don't know how old I was, junior high or high school. I think Dustin went with me, actually. Somehow, we talked my dad into taking us to the Oakland Coliseum for a Day on the Green concert to see U2 live. And I got to tell you guys, 
It changed my poor little life. I mean, it just wrecked me. To see 70,000 people in this place, I had one goal of that day. I wanted to get to the front. That was all I cared about. I mean, I remember trying to, there's four, four guys and we're holding on to each other's shirts and we're squirming through just masses of humanity that were just pressing against you. And one of my buddies lost a shoe and it was just like, dude, you're going without because we're just going. You can't turn back now and your shoes, you know what I mean? You're dead if you go after that shoe. I mean, just, I was such an impressionable kid. I was probably 14 years old or something. But I remember seeing something that was so big and it was so grand and it was so much larger than my life that I just remember just thinking, unbelievable. This, this is just unbelievable. When I say the word glory to you, in the context of God, there is, there is a bigness about God that you and I will never ever get. There is a dimension, an understanding of God that you and I can't comprehend. But we get glimpses of his glory all the time. We see him in things and in situations all the time. If we begin to open our eyes to it. I want to share with you a a passage of scripture in the book of Romans. It says in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33... Oh, what a wonderful God that we have. How great are his riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. For who can know what the Lord is thinking? Who knows enough to be his counselor? And who could ever give him so much that he would have to pay it back? For everything comes from him. Everything exists by his power and it is intended for his glory to him be glory evermore amen you see what it says there it says everything is intended for his glory everything exists to show God's glory everything everything exists Do you realize that when you look around, you truly can see God in everything? God's glory can be seen in everything. Check out what it says in the book of Psalms. In Psalms number 19, it says, The heavens declare or tell of the glory of God. The skies display His marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is silent in the skies. Yet their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to all the world. Scripture says that the heavens, the skies, the things that we look up and see that you and I take for granted... The Bible says that they scream, God. They put off a reflection of the beauty, of the power, of the enormous size of God. Glory is one of these words that truly means that when you see it and when you experience it, 
It gives you a glimpse. It gives you a reverence. It gives you an awe for who that glory is reflecting. Some of you here are parents, and you've got little kids. And you would love, more than anything, for your kids to be your glory. Come on. Not my kids. Most of the time, they're the opposite, right? They're a reflection of something that you don't want people to think came from you. You're like, no, that's not my kid. That's my wife's kid. You know, it's like this whole thing of, you know, oh, he gets that from your side of the family. But when we see them, there's something about our kids that reflects us, right? It reflects us as parents. What about you guys that are into your hobbies? What about you guys that are into cars or into music? There's a lot of musicians in this, in this building that come through here on a weekly basis, people that just love music. When you write a song or when you play a beat or when you're waxing a car or when you're remodeling a house or, or, or ladies, if you're doing a craft, you're doing something, whatever it is that you put yourself into, you want it to be a reflection of you, right? In a small dose, it's glory. And it's glorifying you, of what you created, of what you did. Now think about God again. Now think about what the Bible says about the heavens, that they declare the glory of God. That when we go out into the night sky, when we get away from the city lights where it's not so dimmed, and we can get out into the mountains where we can truly appreciate how many billions of stars there are. Every single twinkle, every single sky lit star, when you begin to open your heart up to it, whispers, God created me and put me here. That there is a God so great and so big that I have to tell of his glory. Okay, but we got to be real about this, right? That sounds really good and everything's all, you know, fine and, you know, but that's not really the reality of the world that we live in, right? The reality of the world that we live in is that there's a lot of hard things. There's a lot of unjust things. There's a lot of questions about why do all these bad things happen? Why so much poverty? Why so much abuse? Why so much addiction? Why is there so much? And we have to come to this place where we say, okay, if God truly is wanting to show us his glory through everything, why do we have such a hard time seeing it? Why do you and I have such a hard time grasping it? Why is it that people can go through this world and never, ever, ever stop to give God a second thought? Why? The Bible says in the book of Romans, in another part of it, that same book, it says this. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful Wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. Because God has put this knowledge in their hearts. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky and all that God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. They wouldn't even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas 
of what God was really like. The result was that their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools instead. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols that were made to look like mere people or birds and animals and snakes. Why does this world have such a hard time seeing God? The answer is that we have tried to minimize God's glory. We've tried to exchange God and His completeness for something that's earthly and temporary. We have taken something that is so perfect as God and in our inability to understand it, we tried to bring Him down to our level. We tried to make God fit into our minds and we began to try to articulate and understand and explain the God of the universe. And by doing that, we began to minimize His glory. We didn't see Him the way that He really is. And as a result, you and I go through this life on a daily and on a weekly basis, struggling to comprehend what this thing is all about with God and His glory. If you've been around here with us for any length of time, you know that at the heartbeat of everything that we do, everything that we believe, is really one completely radical idea. And that idea is that the God that is so big that we could never understand Him, the God that is so big that we could never fully take Him in, has a love that is so passionate for you and me that He wanted to get close to us. He didn't want to be so far away because His glory was so big and so powerful that we couldn't even get near Him. He was so passionate about us that He came for us and He said, I have to have a relationship with you. And everything that we do springs from that concept. And some of us here tonight come from a different place in our life. I'm very aware that there are people from all different backgrounds that come through the doors here on Saturday nights. We have a different crowd every week. And we know that sometimes people come in with a lot of questions and they've done their best to try to make sense of the things of this world and to try to intellectualize it and try to contextualize it and try to put it in some type of an order that makes sense. But my friend... If there's nothing else that you hear tonight before you leave, I want to tell you that the only way for your life to make sense, the only way for you to be able to lay the experiences that you've been through, good, bad, unexplainable, all of them, and put them in order and be able to say, what is all this? The only way is if you can have a relationship with the God that created you because He wants to tell you what your life is really all about. He can't tell me for you what your life is really all about. That's a face-to-face -face conversation that happens to be between you two. I'm not involved in it. And my heart is for you to begin to develop that kind of communication with God to where you can hear what He has to say to you about your life. See, as we talk about glory, and we talk about this concept of God coming for us, we have to go back to Jesus. We have to go back to the living, 
breathing, tangible face of God, Jesus. And the book of John, chapter 2, we read a story that is the first written account of Jesus displaying his power. It's taking place at a wedding. I get to do a wedding tomorrow for Becky Bergtold. I'm so excited. Anyway, the next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. How does that concern you and me, Jesus asked. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, you do whatever he tells you. There were six stone water pots that were standing there. And they were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes. And they held 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some of it out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So they followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that had now become wine, he did not know where it had come from, even though the, the servants knew, he called out to the bridegroom. He said, usually a host serves the best wine first. And then when everyone is full and doesn't care, he brings out the less expensive wines. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was Jesus' first display of his glory. And his disciples believed in him. You see, we have to come back to Jesus if we really want to know God. That's the bottom line. There, there are people who lived for thousands of years trying to understand God. They would read what was called the Law of Moses. And they would try from this law and from the stories of their ancestors to develop an understanding of God. But it was so disconnected and it was so far away that they could never feel like they could be close to God, that they could be personal with God, that they could speak to God face to face until Jesus. When Jesus came, he changed everything. When Jesus came, he said, no longer will your sin keep you distant from God. No longer will there be something that will separate us, but I'm going to build a bridge to bring us close and you can get close to God. And he wants to take it a step further. He actually wants to know you like a father knows his children. And then he wants to bring you into his family and he wants to call you his son and his daughter. And then it gets even better. He says, I want to make you my heir so that everything I have is yours. You get it all. My friends, 
I want to know God like that. And when I look at this story, when I look at the story of Jesus and I look at him going to what appears to be such a simple experience, a wedding. We go to weddings all the time. In this day and age, in this culture, they would have the feast and it was just a an incredible time. Sometimes I've read that they had parties for days on end when people would get married. I mean, it was a huge, huge deal. And the story goes that they ran out of wine. The Bible says that the, the custom was they would always pull out the best stuff first so that people would really think that the father of the groom was somebody that was worth, you know, he spent some bucks on this celebration and he's going to show it off. But by the time they'd had a few, they didn't care anymore. You could bring out the boons. You didn't care. You just bring out the cheap stuff. And in this story, what does God do? What does Jesus do? Now, I'm not a wine snob. You put a bottle over a glass of wine in front of me, I promise I'm not going to be able to do the old swirl around, sniff it, and I'm not going to be able to tell if it's a, a bottle of two-buck chuck or if it was a $100 bottle of cab. I have no idea. It all just tastes like fermented grapes to me. I do not have the gift of being able to do all that stuff. But I've got a friend, I've got a couple, but one guy in particular... He is a wine snob. And I mean, he gets all this big deal going about how you open up a bottle of wine, you got to let it air out or whatever, and all this stuff. It's like, dude, you're, I don't know. He claims, he claims that he can taste wine and know, you know, what kind, what variety, what kind of, you know, fruit leaves were in it or whatever, and who the winemaker was. He claims that the signature is that distinct on something as simple as a glass of wine. Why do you think that Jesus brought out the best wine last for something like this? I guarantee it wasn't to show off his wine prowess or his skills in that way. God wants us to know who he is. God wants us to see him for who he is. God wants us to understand when we get glimpses of his glory, what he is all about. My friends, God created everything. Why wouldn't he give us the best, even in something so random as a wedding feast and wine? Because God wants to display his glory. God wants to put on display in every situation of our lives who he is. But you have to open your eyes and see it. You have to open your eyes and see his glory. Look at your life right now. Look at your life and the circumstances of your life. You've got good. You've got difficulties. Everybody's gone through probably incredible joys, incredible tragedies and sorrows, and everything in between. And many of us come to a place in our life to where we cannot believe that God can do anything good with the things that have happened in our lives. We've come to believe that nothing can be redeemed from the mess that some of us have made. God wants to take your life just like he took those simple pots of water 
And He wants to touch them. And He wants to touch you. And He doesn't want you to be some second class cheap bottle when He's done with you. My friend, He wants to redeem you completely through and through and through until when people come in contact with you, they say, What happened? I knew what you were. You were ordinary. What happened to you? When the living God touches your heart, when the living God comes and takes a hold of me and you, as we are, we don't clean ourselves up first. We don't come to Him all put together. The Bible says that we are His masterpiece. Well, if I put myself together and I come and I present myself to God and say, God, look at how good I am. Who's going to get the glory in that? He wants to create a masterpiece out of you and out of me. In just a couple minutes, we're going to go through a, an exercise, a ritual together that we do every week. It's called communion. I'm going to have the band come on up here. One of the things that we do every single week is that we carve out a few minutes of our time to get real with God. To come to Him honestly. To come to Him as we are. And one of the great misconceptions about communion, we have stations here and here and here, but one of the great misconceptions that we have is that we think that when we come and we go through this spiritual exercise, we think that we come and we need to be put together and we think we need to be good. We think we need to have been having a really good week and so I can come to this table and I feel really positive about myself and I feel really courageous like, oh man, me and God are good this week because I didn't fall into my addiction or I didn't do the things that I you know, wrestle with. And so in our misconception, we think that we can come and we can take this bread and dip it in this juice and we can come to God and go with a big smile on our face, oh God, here we go, this is going to be great because I am such a good Christian. Don't waste your time. Don't even bother coming. You know what this table is for? This table is for the beggars. This table is for the broken. This table is for the ones who know that I don't even deserve to stand here, God. Just let the crumbs fall off the table and I'll pick those up because I don't deserve what you've given to me. I don't deserve what you've done for me. And so I'm going to come to this table humbly, thankfully, that you've given me a place at this table. And then when I come, I get to say to my Father, I get to say to my God from a heart of gratitude, thank you so much for saving a sinner like me. And the Bible says that when we do this, he says do it often. Because he says, it brings us to a place to where we remember what Jesus did for us. We remember it. That tells me that I have a tendency of forgetting. Jesus knew that I would forget what he did. And he told me, do this often and remember me.
This is a sign, a symbol of Jesus' body that he shed, that he died. And this is a symbol of his blood that was poured out for you and me. And we get to come and be with him. So we're going to sing some more. And we're going to come to these tables. And then what we do is we usually find a place to just talk to God. Kneel at one of the chairs. Kneel at the steps. Go back to your seat. But take some time to let God talk to you face to face.